Welcome to the Sheila Kama Extractive Podcast. Uh, I'm continuing our conversation with my guests on the subject of citizen equity participation in mineral development projects. And today my guest is going to give us a private sector perspective of these policies. My guest is Norman Bazima. Norman has 18 years in mining. He retired in June 2019 as the deputy chairman of Anglo-American Corporation in South Africa. Before that, he had seven different capacities uh, at Anglo, including as the head of the coal, iron ore, and platinum divisions. At present, he's a non-executive chairperson of Anglo Platinum. Norman is also somebody I count as a friend. So Norman, welcome to the Sheila Kama Extractive Podcast. Thank you very much, Sheila. I'm very, very pleased to be here and hello to everybody. Fantastic. So I, I just want to get personal with you. I mean, what are your own view of uh, the, if you wish, merits or demerits of uh, legislating citizen participation in mineral development projects? I think it's a good thing, uh, generally, Sheila. I think that uh, most of our minerals are found in places and in countries where the general population um, is riddled with poverty and inequality and, and all of that. And where this citizenship equity is designed to ameliorate some of that, there is merit to it. Um, the problem is it's a very, very difficult subject. It's a very, very difficult thing to achieve. And therefore, in the performance of that, in the trying to uh, implement it, uh, lots of things do go wrong. But generally, I think it's a good idea. Okay, so, so uh, you see it as essentially helping address uh, poverty and inequalities, but you also recognize that it has some problems. Let's take a look at those problems, uh, specifically from an investor's perspective. What are some of the problems associated with attempts to implement these policies? There, there are many of them. Um... Firstly, as you know, when you're going to do an investment, you do uh, an evaluation and you decide, you know, if I put so much money into this, I'll get so much money back, etc. And then all these rules about citizenship empowerment are fairly generic. Okay, give everybody 20% or whatever it is. And quite often when you plug that cost into the um, evaluation, it means that your own evaluation doesn't reach your goals that you want to do, and therefore the investment doesn't go ahead. And, and that's a problem. There are lots of problems to deal with who do you give, because quite often these investors have no idea uh, who is who in the country and what exactly the country is trying to achieve, etc. All they want to do is to go and build a mine and make some money in the process. And, and so you end up with um, the right people and sometimes the wrong people and uh, the issues between broad based and uh, small tycoons, a small number of tycoons and so forth. All those are problems which need uh, to be resolved. And finally, the actual relationship between the, the, the investor 
and the local participants and who are they? Um, is this a marriage of convenience? Is this a marriage of people who've actually fallen in love with each other? And, and how is it gonna work in the future? So all those tend to become problematic areas rather than uh, trying to achieve the original purpose that was set out for. Hmm. So you, you've mentioned uh, three problems. One, which is that the provision of equity for citizens can potentially erode the economics of the project uh, leading to an investor deciding, well, if I'm going to take a chunk of uh, the equity and give it to somebody else, that reduces my take. And the, at, at that point, the take might become so low that the investor doesn't uh, go ahead. Sure, I, I mean, I can see that, but are we sure there's no way of remedying this? Couldn't, for instance, the state provide a guarantor? Is, is, this, is this a problem that cannot be solved, uh, Norman? It is a problem. Uh, there are solutions to it. Uh, and indeed, there are some innovative solutions that have been implemented and that have worked very well. So, so the, the basic problem is that, uh, generally speaking, the regulations do not say where the local uh, entrepreneurs or the local broad-based people are going to get the money to help in this investment. So the investor then has to put in money on behalf of the local partners. Uh, and, and generally the regulations do not say what is to happen uh, in that situation. Is this a loan which the investor gets back? Uh, can you get a third party uh, bank or somebody to put in the money on their behalf? And on what terms is that? That's where the difficulty is in the financing. Mm. So, so generally speaking, you end up with the investor finding money on behalf of the local partner and then saying, I would like to get this money back before the, the local partner starts to get uh, a real returns. So generally, they'll either not have a dividend for quite some time while the investor is, is getting his loan back, or there'll be a trickle dividend or something like that. And it's that area of financing that everybody needs to look at and say, this is acceptable, this isn't acceptable, this will work, this won't work, etc. Where we have seen loans being put and a certain level of free carry being put into place, then things seem to have worked, especially where the underlying project is then a success. Hmm. The, the, the things that you've said that interests me is about the relationship, because of course, typically uh, partnerships in terms of uh, equity uh, shareholding are uh, based on some kind of presumption of a strategic uh, contribution by either. Uh, the, the other, of course, is that it's the two parties initiating it. But in this case, the state legislates and, and makes it a condition for licensing. And you, you quite rightly recognize that relations between the two shareholders can be pretty uh, uh, challenging. I, I wonder if you can just uh, talk a little more about that. Why is this marriage not one that is made uh, you know, out of um, the willingness of the two parties. Why is that uh, problematic when one is trying to run a company? 
Yeah, the, the first problem is how did these parties get to meet? Uh, do they know each other? Are they sure about what the strategic intent of each party is? Uh, can they see the compatibility that is going forward, et cetera, et cetera? Or is it just that the investor wants to go ahead with this mine and in order to do so, he needs to find a partner and therefore uh, get the nearest partner and all the issues of fronting and so forth start coming to the fore. Um, the, the best I have seen is where the investor has taken time uh, to, to really investigate about who are the possible local partners, who, with whom can I work with and work with well. This is likely to be a long-term uh, uh, marriage, so what are we going to do? So that due diligence, if you like, is very important on both sides. The, the, the second is to say, so what relationship are we going to have? Um, what is this marriage going to be like? Who's who in the zoo? Who can do what? Who can't do what, etc. And the biggest issues I've seen is where this has not been clear from the off. And then as you go along, uh, either the minority partner starts to feel marginalized, or this is not what I expected, etc., etc., or the majority partner starts to feel, hey, um, you're crowding my space. Uh, this is my mind. I'm, I'm going to make the decisions here about this, how this thing runs. And so again, it's very important to clarify right up front what this uh, is going to be. In South Africa, for example, I think the example that we've seen that works the best was actually where you said, um, we will have a, a fairly short-term partnership, but eventually we want the, the local partnership to go and run its own mine. So if I had three mines, I'll take one and, and, and somehow cede it to the local partners to run it themselves because then they are true entrepreneurs in the right sense. That's what I've seen work. Uh, the idea of coming to the board meetings every quarter and um, uh, attending just the board meetings, etc., doesn't really work very well in my opinion because generally the minority partners start to feel marginalized that they're not part of this business. Yeah, this is a very serious problem that I have seen myself uh, in, in partnerships, not just between uh, large mining companies and citizens, but also for that matter with governments. Uh, and and, and uh, where the uh, large mining company is the operator, uh, it can also breed a level of mistrust because you've got to take their word for it uh, if they say uh, X, Y, and Z. But if there is no trust and you only meet around the boardroom once a quarter, it doesn't make uh, for a very successful uh, partnership in my view. And I think that is, you are right, one of the, the major challenges is, is uh, the relationship. Now, you, you are arguing that uh, actually having off one of the mines and saying, well, take that mine and run it is, is probably a solution. But where do they start, Norman, when this is their first mine? How do they run a mine successfully if this in fact is their first venture? So that, that's a very good question, Sheila. Um, 
it goes back to the due diligence that I talked about. Who are these partners who are there? So for example, over partners who were previous employees or partners who have been working in the mining industry for a long time, uh, or entrepreneurs whom you can see have the potential but do not have the wherewithal, as you've said, and therefore decide to partner with them for years, <laughs> perhaps even 10 years. Uh, as a joint venture or something like that, and until you can see that they have come up the, that curve, they're now able to run things on their own. They have seen how we do uh, safety. They have seen how we do management meetings. They have seen and participated for years, and therefore now uh, we can transfer uh, majority ownership to them and, and so forth. And I think that develops people, that gets people to be better miners. But of course, you then have to have the minority partners being interested in that, hence the due diligence that I talked about. Because I've seen many, many examples where the minority partners are purely want to make a um, quick buck and go and get away. And then it's a very different marriage. Mm. Uh, so th this is interesting uh, for me because one of the problems you, you uh, alluded to is just how you select the partnerships. Now, you, you spoke in the beginning about poverty, but what we have seen, uh, certainly in South Africa and other parts of the continent, is that citizen equity participation has tended to follow the elite, uh, who, at least in uh, you know, national terms, are not exactly the impoverished. So, so how do we justify that? I mean, do we, do we see equity participation as simply ticking a box and then facilitating ownership by previously disadvantaged? Or do we see citizen equity as addressing poverty? I mean, what is the end state vision here, uh, Norman? That's exactly the issue, Sheila. Um, what, what, what is the end state? What do we want to achieve? Uh, you remember the investor starts off by saying, I've got some equity, I've got some operational know-how, I've got some management, and I found an area where there's oil in the ground which I can uh, dig up and, and, and make money out of. Uh, investors generally are not thinking about, you know, uh, what is the development of the country, etc., etc. They would have that in the background, but it's not in, in, in the in the forefront of their minds, their minds to go and dig a mine and start making money out of it. Uh, and so the, the pathway of what we're trying to do with the nation as a whole is mostly in the government area. And in many cases of uh, citizenship empowerment and, and so forth, the end state has not been very well defined, if at all. Um, so people know that, oh, we want to empower citizens, we want things to be better, et cetera, et cetera. But what excellence looks like, what, how we recognize when we have arrived at the destination, what the landscape will be when we get there, is almost never de defined in my uh, experience. And then you start to talk about the issues of, is it broad-based? or is it um, some tycoons or some entrepreneurs we want to, to develop? And broad-based has been very, very difficult in, in my view, uh, because who is it that you include in a broad-based definition? So I'm a big proponent of um, 
putting the communities that are around mines into equity participation, because there are people who have a long-term view. They're going to be right there next to the mines for as long as the mine is going to be there, whether it's 50 years or 100 years. Uh, similarly, I like employees because once again, their lives are tied to that mine. Um, then you have, okay, here's the government. It's getting taxes from this mine. It could, it's getting royalties from this mine. Why, why isn't that the right route? to help the general population uh, uh, altogether. So I think all these are things that each country needs to think very carefully for itself uh, and, and take it from there. Mm. The, one of the, the things that um, I find uh, challenging about uh, the, this notion of citizen equity participation is that those who support it argue that unless governments step in to create a level playing field, citizens will be at a disadvantage in perpetuity as potential investors, which is to say uh, your average Zambian elite is coming from the behind. And that if we don't intervene in, and create some kind of, uh, uh, if you wish, um, empowerment initiative, then, in perpetuity, Zambians will be on Lucas, where, where others come from different parts of the world to mine Zambia's copper. What is your view uh, on, on that particular argument? Sheila, it's a very difficult argument because when you say, what does that end state look like if we, because the basic argument that um, the average Zambian is not benefiting, etc. has has pros and cons. On the one side, the direct benefits, you can see them. On the other side, hopefully the mining industry is producing the biggest uh, tech into the treasury and therefore the, 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 the general Zambian is benefiting in that, in that way. Uh, if you want to look for equity directly, then you say, what do we want? Do we want the every Zambian to have a share? Is that, is that what the level playing field looks like? Uh, and nobody answers that question, which is what I said earlier. Nobody says, what is it that we're actually looking for? What does excellence look like? Um, a lot of people say, oh, we would like some Zambians to own mines and run mines and, be, and, and, and have their own mines. And then you get straight back to the issue because Zambia, for example, has got very, very good mining engineers, accountants, geologists, and so forth over the years, excellent people. But the issue is where do you get a billion dollars to go and set up a mine? Hmm. So, so one has to be very clear about what actually one is trying to achieve when we say a level playing field for, for, for local people. Um, and I think that generally we should try and extract uh, rents from the mining industry to help the, the citizens generally, uh, as in taxation and royalties, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, try and make sure that we can find ways and means of dealing with that big issue of financing or for how we can get financial institutions to be comfortable to lend to, to, to a group of Zambians to build a new mine. And mm. for the Zambians to get 
comfortable in how to go to, to, to Johannesburg or London or New York or Toronto to go and look for that capital to be able to invest in Zambia. So, so in many ways, um, it seems to me then that we oversimplify these policies because on face value, it just seems like logical. You know, the, the copper belongs to the Zambians, the Zambians invest. It, the, the line seems very straight. Unless, of course, you begin to then break it down into what the component parts, which is finance, skills, risk, and then for that matter, uh, making sure that you are inclusive and not elitist uh, for that matter. So, so I think that this is uh, where, where the problem lies because first of all, minerals are finite. So if you give uh, a few people today, what of the next generation? Uh, and so I wanted to ask you, I mean, it's one thing to say you want citizen equity participation. What is the, the deliverable? In other words, uh, what are we expecting of these citizens once they are in that position of advantage? Is, is that the end in itself? Or do we expect that they too like corporations do something else that further enhances the value of this finite resource. You're right. Mining is a is an extractive industry, um, and it is this that makes me really, really sympathetic to the plight of the communities around mines. So, for the better or for the worse, a mine coming onto my doorstep means that a big change is going to happen to me, okay? Uh, suddenly there's employment, but suddenly there might be pollution. And suddenly, you know, there's lots of things that suddenly happened to me whereas I was uh, living happily uh, before this mine came along. So I do like empowerment of the communities, which makes them uh, richer than they were before, but the, the way that they're looking at things and the way that the mind is looking at things then becomes slightly more aligned as a result of uh, uh, equity ownership, especially when that equity ownership is fully paid and the mind can see dividends flowing, the, the community can see dividends flowing and they can build uh, stuff for the community to, 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 to live by. The citizenship generally, as I said, when I've looked at it, it's generally to do with extract taxes and use them to help the nation at large. Entrepreneurs are people who have the ability to run a mine or who lend the ability uh, to run a business uh, and especially the business of mining. And hopefully they become quite rich and every country needs people like that. Uh, now, do, do these people get it on a plate? They shouldn't. Uh, the, the laws will usually force the investor to say, look for a partner. But as I said before about how to finance that partner is an issue that is generally between the investor and that partner rather than something that the state prescribed. So there's supposed to be a contractual a commercial agreement between the two that if it works properly, then this person will become um, a, a good businessman and perhaps a rich businessman. Uh, they do have some obligation 
to say, if we, are, if we have done this, if, if, if the laws have enabled us to do this, what is it that we should do um, for those who are coming behind us? And this to look at how they were empowered and say, even though I'm, I'm the one who has been empowered, I also can empower other people in a similar fashion. Okay, so you see uh, them as a part of a continuous effort to also uh, enable the advantages they have to filter downwards. It doesn't stop with them. And, sure. and, and quite how that is constructed is another matter. But, but you see them as joining this uh, pipeline of the empowered, the capable, the knowledgeable, the wealthy, who then are benevolent enough themselves, whether by reason of... Uh, complying with law or by reason of coming up with their own initiatives. I, I think that that makes sense because otherwise uh, what it is uh, is that is, uh, you would essentially be disempowering, uh, you know, or, or undermining the value of this re resource. Now, from an investor's perspective, uh, Norman, um, what is the impact on countries that tout citizen equity participation uh, relative to those that don't. I'm speaking here about their capacity to compete for uh, foreign direct investment in mining. So we go back to uh, almost where we started, Sheila, where I said, you've got a a model, a financial model that you've built and a technical model behind it, a production model behind it, et cetera, et cetera, that says, here's, a, here's an old body. And if we do X, Y, and Z, we can develop this old body and, and produce. And this is the net cash flow that this old body will make. And of this cash flow, so much will go to government in taxes, so much will go to X, Y, and Z, and here's the balance that goes to me as the investor. Now, suddenly the government says, no, but you must empower people, and to do so, you must give them X, and to, to give them X because they don't have any money, you must fund them, and if you fund them, this is what must happen, etc. That puts in um, what the accountants call debits. You know, you start putting in costs for the investor into, into his model and he could end up with a, a model that doesn't show the correct profitability that will entice him to build this mine. So the effect is that a lot of the ores that could have been developed then remain in the ground. Whereas if this requirement was not there, the mine could have gone ahead. So as a country, then one has to say, what is better? Is it better for this all to remain in the ground until uh, maybe the prices of copper or whatever go up to an extent where it is appropriate for this mine to still go ahead, um, even with the empowerment requirements included in it because our, our, our local people are going to benefit? Or was it better to say, oh, let's have a derogation or a concession on, on this empowerment so this mine can go ahead and at least to generate some taxes and some employment, et cetera. This is a national uh, decision that the government has to make. 
Mm. So you you speak now as a minor, you speak about all body, you speak about business model, operating model, rah, rah, rah. So for the benefit of our audience, what you mean is that an investor looks at a particular deposit and evaluates yes. in terms of uh, its magnitude, both physically, but also economically, but also in terms of what comes out and what you can presumably sell it for, what it costs in infrastructure to bring it all together. Uh, I think you miners call it a bankable feasibility study. And, and from that, you can say, yes, this is a goal uh, or this is not a goal. But that if you introduce an additional factor, in some cases, you could tilt the answer that was otherwise a yet, uh, a yes, rather, turn it into a no. It's not worth investing. And therefore, you sterilize, at least in the short term, the asset and that the country, the community and everybody loses. That's sort of what you're saying, right? Yeah, I speak mining English. You speak English, English, Sheila. That works very well. That's exactly what I was saying. <laughs> okay, so I think I think it's important to to uh, to to just state that because what it does here is that it puts citizen equity participation in a bigger context. That the role of the state is to create an environment in which the mineral deposit can be mined, and that if something we do dissuades our investors, then we, we stand to lose. But it seems to me also that while that is true, Norman, this is also uh, a, a, a subject of a specific, from one specific deposit to another, because some deposits are large enough, potentially profitable enough to accommodate uh, added costs. Wherein others. So, is, is the answer therefore not to uh, argue against citizen equity participation, but rather to say it must be looked at on a deposit and project by project basis? And if the economics permit, then we must follow the, uh, the money. Isn't that the answer, Norman? That is indeed the answer. We started off by saying that. Um, we, we agree with the issue of some sort of citizenship equity ownership, uh, some sharing of the cake with, with the citizenship in one way or the other. Uh, and the role of the state, as, as you put it, now let me put it in my English, is stewardship. Uh, the, the, the state has an obligation to act in the very best interests of its nationals. Um, and, and this is not just about equity, it's about employment, it's about uh, services, it's about all sorts of things that the mind can bring to the well-being of, 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 of the citizens. And if you're going to do your stewardship properly, then when you reach an all body or peace a piece of minerals that you say, this is not gonna get mined unless we do some sort of concessions on our um, equity requirements. Then the, the state has a duty to evaluate that and make a decision, which then means I agree with you. We need to look at it all body by all body and look at those models or feasibility studies and say, does it make sense? in this particular instance to ask for this instead of that or the other. Absolutely. Mm. 
Yeah, so, so really, it, 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 says, it says with everything, uh, you have to have context. And the context in which it has been discussed is critical. And, and so, so the, the, the situation in which you have a law that is cut blanche, then doesn't work. You should have a law which is overarching. And then you should perhaps underneath that have regulations that specify the particular models and, and, and the application of those models must be aligned. And, and I don't know in your experience, uh, Norman, whether you have seen anything like this or, or do countries tend to just have one law and that's it? Uh, you know, it's left to the investors to find a way to comply? Countries tend to have one law and that's it. Except that um, how that law is applied can vary from one body to the other uh, in the sense that what I said before, the commercial agreement between the investor and the local partner uh, is generally speaking something that is crafted between the two of them with the state generally just overseeing and saying, yeah, it looks all right to me and, and, and so on and so forth. And it is in there that you can uh, cut the cake slightly different from one mind to the next to make sure that it can still go ahead uh, uh, and, be, and be viable. Mm. So you, you have worked uh, for a listed company and, and uh, the company that you are the executive chair, the non-executive chair of now, uh, Anglo Platinum, is uh, uh, the last time I checked on the top 20 by market cap on the Johannesburg uh, Stock Exchange. And, and so I wanted to ask you, what's wrong with... Uh, citizen equity participation through acquisition of shares in these publicly listed companies. Why must they, uh, if you wish, in the current dispensation actually be uh, part of the development agreement per se and not speculators like everybody else? That's a very, very good point, Sheila. Um, governments generally have tended to avoid uh, local citizens who go and buy their shares on the stock exchange or, or other capital mechanism, being included uh, and classified as uh, citizen uh, participation. And I don't know why, because in the end, all the capital that goes into any mine belongs to some ordinary citizens somewhere whether they are in, in, in the country concerned or whether they are from overseas, et cetera, everybody else is an intermediary, whether it's a stock exchange or whether it's a bank or whether it's a pension, uh, uh, pension fund or whatever it is, they're all intermediaries. The money belongs to some local ordinary citizen like you and I who has put our money into an insurance product or have bought shares or are saving for our kids' education or whatever. That's where capital formation comes from. Um, and so I, I strongly support that uh, citizens should be able to buy a few shares 
and, and, and just hold those shares as an investment and maybe not necessarily get involved in the management or, or whatever, but that, that investment should also count as citizenship empowerment. Mm. Uh, my last question brings us back to the elites. Because, of course, uh, when you look at uh, uh, developed countries, there is a certain, if you wish, um, partnership, uh, albeit sometimes, uh, you know, a difficult one between governments and national, if you wish, uh, large corporations. They, they, they're often part of the national foreign policy, they're often part of the national trade policy, they're often part of the national economic policy. And, and I always thought that one of the strongest arguments for citizen equity empowerment is that we would breed a class of indigenous brands that can then be part of a groundswell of investors looking outward of uh, South Africa, Botswana, or Zambia. And that if we don't invest in bridging these brands, then in perpetuity, uh, our governments and the, the economies they try to run are for all intents and purposes second to the rest of the world, to the Coca-Colas, to the GEs, to the uh, ExxonMobiles of this world, who are, as we know, in many cases, part of America's foreign and, and economic policy. Why, why shouldn't Africa invest in developing that same class of corporations? And why shouldn't mining be the launch pad? I think, I think you hit the nail on the head. When, when I was growing up, when I was in primary school, secondary school, or living in the university, our country was our economy was owned over 80% by the state. And my mindset was always that I was going to finish my education and go and work for the state, either directly or through a parastatal, et cetera, et cetera. I never for once thought that I could be an entrepreneur and run my own stuff. I'm pleased to say that things have changed now and our kids of today grow up wanting to do a business of their own and to, and to grow it and have that mindset. And I'm so excited to see uh, that kind of thing happening in our country. And so, yes, that mindset, that entrepreneurial mindset is now there to be tapped and we can get uh, the generations that are coming and. Even my generations, there are lots of people who have been very good entrepreneurs who, whom we can now say, go and fly. And it doesn't matter whether it's in the mining industry, whether it's in the bottling industry, whether it's in the industrial. And by the way, you can be innovative. You can build something in Botswana that is attractive to the rest of the world uh, and, and, and start start something that will grow. We have some big tycoons in Africa whom you see on DSTV uh, day in and day out. We have people who have become philanthropists and are able to throw money at uh, some of the things that make Africa different. And I'm so excited to be part of that show. That's fantastic. Well, let's leave it at that, uh, Norman and hope that uh, you, know, you and I are the last generation of those who ask 
And that uh, downstream of here, we are the generation of those who do and provide uh, solutions for themselves. Thank you very much for uh, indulging the Sheila Kam Extractive Podcast. It was lovely speaking with you. I'm obliged. Thank you. And thanks to everybody. <laughs>